Well, uh, once we get the lights back up here, anyway, I want to take this opportunity to uh, welcome each and every one of you from our South Bay Family Ministry this morning. Appreciate you getting all here uh, wide-eyed and bushy-tailed, ready to go. Uh, I do want to have, I need our uh, small group leaders, community group leaders, and our shepherding couples to stand up for a minute. Want to acknowledge you guys. Guys, you're blessed with some incredible leaders here. They've been here since very early this morning. I didn't hear a complaint from any of them, but we had a great opportunity to get together for some breakfast and a little bit of scripture prior to all this. So, anyway. Yes, and also the tea leaders are here, and uh, the single leaders were here also, but they're in another room having um, communion right now. And some of the singles uh, have been serving with taking care of our kids, so we really appreciate that. But our teen leaders are here as well. They've been here since 845 this morning or earlier, and so thank you guys. Um, and I just want to thank um, Brian and Dessa and their kids. <laughs> Marshall said to me this morning, Jackie, do you realize how much work it took to stuff those packets? I said, yes, I do. And he said something like, what would you say, Marshall? Do we, why do we do that? I said, because that's what we do. <laughs> so I know Marshall well, sure wasn't was complaining. I know Marshall wasn't complaining. Marshall was here also really early helping set up. So, but I do want to, um, again, thank Brian and Dessa because they take a lot of our craziness and our um, detail, and then they make it happen. <laughs> and sometimes it means late night stuffing packets. So we do appreciate them very, very much. I we'll also want to uh, take this opportunity to thank our incredible worship team, all of our song leaders, our tech guys, administrators, everybody that helps make this huge machine move forward, amen, our incredible family here locally. Uh, how many of you had a good time the other night at the banquet? How many of you haven't recovered yet? <laughs> well, I saw Zach yesterday at the Wingies, and he had an injury. He had a banquet injury. Yeah, so... You know, you know we've arrived. I mean, Xander, sorry, Xander. So when um, you know you've arrived when you start injuring yourself at the church banquet. <laughs> so um, some of my, my eyeballs were injured a little bit by some of the things I saw. Well, on that note, let's go ahead and uh, pull up the first slide if we could. Okay, anyway, I do want to say that I, I, I may share during Steve's, during Steve's message, but I want to make sure that, you, that it, it's sharing, that oh, you guys are, that the brothers. A version of a disclaimer on the front side. Yeah, I did, I did get a little preachy in the leaders meeting, um, but I did address the women several times. With specificity. <laughs> uh, and no, it wasn't. Just a disclaimer, I really meant it. I was dressing the women. If the brothers want to listen and hear, that's up to them. I mean, generally, if the brothers are humble, I'm sure they're probably going to hear some of it. But it's not directed at the brothers. Okay. And it's not church. It's a workshop. But anyway. No, I do want to say, seriously, I do respect the brothers. Um... I mean, in all seriousness, I do respect the brothers. First of all, I, say, uh, I respect the authority of the Bible. So, um, but uh, when I do preach or direct, that is coming, that is directed towards the women. Okay, I just wanted to make that clear. Again, if the brothers want to listen, that's up to them. So. Amen. Now we got all the legal stuff out of the way. Well, we go ahead and bow our heads and go to the Father in prayer here. Father, thank you so much for your kingdom. Thank you so much for the brothers and sisters that make up your church, the unity that we have through the blood of Christ, and the fact that we have the opportunity to truly live life to the full. Thank you for a life of purpose. Thank you for a life where we can really make a difference, uh, as you've made a difference in our lives, God. And I pray that as we walk away from here today, as we head into 2015, uh, that this can be a time that we use to assess our own lives, uh, we can use the scriptures as a means of doing just that. And the areas that we've been doing awesome with, that we can rejoice in that, and the areas that we need to look at and repent of or change, 
that we can do that with the humility that Jesus demonstrated for us by coming to earth and being willing to die for all the sin, all the garbage, all the brokenness that uh, each of us has experienced in some way, form, shape, or another. And with that, God, I pray that we can leave here today grateful uh, that we can call you Father, uh, grateful for your grace, your mercy, uh, everything that you've blessed us with, uh, most importantly, your Son, which gives us the opportunity to spend eternity with you in heaven. And that's the day that we strive for, each and every one of us. Father, help us to be the examples you call us to. Help us to be a light to a lost world. Help us with the power of your Spirit to be exactly what you would like to see us be as we try and strive to glorify you in everything we do. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, there's some of the evidence. Uh, there were, there were, uh, I, I went easy with you guys. This was kind of the PG version of stuff that I saw. There's some video footage that we have. Let me just say, yes, depending upon your particular persuasion, there was some degree of awesomeness in it, I would imagine. But no, it was a great time. It was so, uh, again, I, I shared this earlier. I love seeing the interaction we can have with our children. Uh, just that whole sense of community as a church was really incredible the other night. Amen. Uh, I'm not going to take a lot of time spending any more time on that, though. Wanting to move on and uh, kind of dive right into things here. And the title of our uh, message today and theme that we really want to go after here for the remainder of the year is I give myself away. Well, what does that mean? What are we talking about? Why give yourself away? And the, the biblical perspective on this comes from Romans 12, verse 1. And that we're called to be a living sacrifice. This is actually working. I don't believe it. Or somebody back there is very intuitive. Romans 12 verse 1 reads, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. You know, when we read this and we think about this, Paul is laying out something very specific here. He calls us to be a living sacrifice to God. Now, I know none of us will probably verbalize this, but I'm sure this is something that kind of goes through our heads in that why in the world would anyone want to do that? Why would anyone want to be a living sacrifice? What the heck does that even mean? How can you be a sacrifice and be living? Well, we're going to kind of explore that conceptually here today and looking at some different passages in the Bible, but really thinking that through. You know, when it comes to sacrifice, any of you familiar with sacrifice? That's something where pretty much everybody's hands should have gone up on. Uh, I would imagine when the alarm clock goes off, we get out of bed, some of us maybe with a greater degree of excitement than others, depending upon the time that it is and what we're about to embark on. Now, I know for me, if it's going off at 4 in the morning, it's because I'm going on a fishing trip, I am thoroughly excited. Usually, uh, actually most mornings I get up without an alarm, but, uh, and that's not because I sleep in a tent. Just, I, I, unfortunately, the minute there's any semblance of anything that looks like light or any noise, I'm toast. So, but, you know, thinking that through, there's sacrifices we make on so many different fronts. We, for those of us with families, we have to provide for those families. There's sacrifice involved, time, energy. Uh, there are things that we, we may want personally that we forego to meet the needs of our kids. Sacrifice is something that we understand but is it something necessarily, when we look at it from a spiritual perspective, we want to even really engage on or be a part of? You know, we can think through this. You know, I can, I can see God, you know, giving God maybe a couple hours on Sunday, you know, maybe an occasional midweek. But, you know, when it comes to things like Kids Kingdom or maybe being a small group leader or helping with any of the administrative things of the church, and so many of you do volunteer, and I appreciate the growth that we've seen in this in the four and a half years we've been here in South Bay. On that note, something I want to share that I'm super encouraged by, I know our worship team is so totally excited about, and what this represents for us being able to step into kind of a new era when it comes to a means of reaching out to people, is uh, most of you received a CCB I sent a few weeks ago, well actually it was a little over a week ago, stating that we had about $14,000 worth of sound equipment that we needed. Uh, we had uh, speakers that are 10, 12, 15 years old, some of those have had tags on them in storage forever talking about being repaired, which you know, that's a whole nother thing, but cables that are frayed, all kinds of issues that really don't enable our guys that volunteer and invest all this time into making the service excellent has really been a proof, uh, just an area of frustration on a lot of different accounts. But because of the response of the church and the generosity of the church, 
We had a number of individuals that stepped up and absolutely blew that need out. Our guys have a trailer, which enables them to not have to go to the storage, load a truck, unload a truck, set it up, load the truck, back to storage, unload the truck, and leave. But it's all in it now, so it's, it cuts their time in half. I know Ben's been doing it for 19 years since he was a teen. We were able to procure a bunch of new equipment to meet those needs. Uh, we're going to start streaming, which is really the way that people interview churches now. They go to websites, they watch what goes on, and make a determination as to whether or not they're going to even show up. So we're, we're not only were the specific needs that we had met, there were things that we had as wants, which was that ability. Uh, there was $20,000 that was raised that more than offset all that and is going to give us the ability to buy those cameras, start streaming our Sunday services. You guys are awesome. And this is what I, I do love about disciples. When a need is put out there, they step up. And I think this is an area where each of us really needs to embrace today, looking forward and asking ourselves, is this an area that I'm totally surrendered in myself? Do I live each day as a living sacrifice? Paul goes after it on a lot of different fronts. And just thinking through this, you know, offering my body as a living sacrifice to God. The radical Sound a little radical? You know, how many of you wouldn't be here if it wasn't for people embracing this passage in Romans 12.1? We've got people that have moved across the country, given up jobs, given up their relationships, friendships. They've taken their kids out of relationships so that we would have the opportunity to hear the gospel preached. We have people that have gone into foreign countries where it's not their first language, where they've actually gone through a Be a Ritz program or one of these these accelerated language programs to bring the gospel to a lost world. And we look at that and we go, man, that's kind of radical. That's kind of cool. You know, give up everything, go anywhere, do anything for God. But isn't that pretty much what each and every one of us signed up for when we entered the waters of baptism and said, Jesus is Lord? And really thinking that through, this passage, Romans 12, verse 1, we can look at that and say, well, you know, dude, that's so first century. I mean, seriously, Steve, in this day and age, come on. Well, did God know about this day and age? I don't think it's by chance he chose the time when he did to get the word out. And it would applies back then, applies every bit as much today to each of us on an individual basis. Solomon said it. There's nothing new under the sun. Maybe a few different toys, but we've always had toys. We've always had distractions. We've always had things that we, we want or covet that Satan uses to distract us. From God, We talked about it earlier in the leaders' meeting today. Jesus, after 40 days in the desert, being tempted by Satan. T Satan trying to even use the very word that God spoke himself to distract Jesus from his own calling. In Romans 12, verse 1, again, it reads, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. You know, this verse confronts us with a question here. Why give myself? Why give yourself totally, completely as a living sacrifice to God? You know, if you haven't spent any time in the book of Romans recently, you might want to uh, take a month, maybe take a couple months, and, and make that your morning devotional. And that it's an amazing, all-inclusive book. It was written to the Jews living in Rome, and it's amazing the things that he covers Written by Paul to believers in Rome. Looking at this whole period of time, the situation, we know that God's movement was ushered in in Pentecost in Acts 2. We know Paul's conversion, Acts 9, Acts 22, Acts 26. He walks back through the things that enlightened him to being willing to make himself, to, to surrender to Christ and become that living sacrifice himself. This letter of introduction ultimately is a letter of introduction as well as a declaration of faith, our faith. Romans 12.1 begins a major new section of the book of Romans, and if you go back through it, basically Romans 1 through 11, it's amazing what Paul establishes when it comes to our Christian walk. The emphasis in these first few chapters is on doctrine. You know, Paul was basically a religious attorney 
I mean, he was a defender of the Jewish faith. He knew the scriptures. He had the best of training. So who best to defend Christianity and our doctrine? So the first 11 chapters are this emphasis on doctrine and understanding of who we are as disciples and what we have as Christ followers. Romans 1 through 3 basically walks us through the lostness of humanity and the need for God's intervention. Romans 3 through 5 walks us through faith in Christ and the fact that with all that's going on in our lives and the mess that we had made out of our lives before surrendering ourselves to Christ, that through faith in Christ, we can stand totally, 100% justified before God. And this is big, without guilt. Romans 6 through 8 walks us through the freedom that comes from being saved. Freedom from the power of sin. Freedom to become like Christ. And the ability to discover God's unconditional love and this limited love that he promises each and every one of us, that he demonstrated for us through his son, Jesus Christ. 9 through 11, he addresses the Jews who become Christians. And he shares with them his concerns for them because of their background, a lot of different things that were part of their religious heritage. And then moves on into an area that I'm sure many of the Jews that had been converted struggled with. And that... What God had promised the Jews, he was helping them to understand. They were going to have to figure out a way to incorporate the Gentiles into those very same promises that were made all the way back at the very beginning of time. We experienced personally the rejection aspect of things, getting comfortable in our Christianity, discipleship where we're in each other's lives along those lines, but we're here because others were outwardly focused as well. And the key to all that is remember what Jesus Christ has called us to, what God has called us to, what Paul's talking about here in Romans 12 as he's walked us through all the doctrinal issues that to the Jews in particular was so incredibly important. But isn't there more than just doctrine when it comes to life? You know, most of us know that. There's a passage that comes out of 1 Timothy 4.16 that, whoops, <laughs> are many very, very, very familiar with. And that's watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them both because if you do, you'll do what? Save both yourselves and your hearers. Paul understood the significance of this passage. And we, most of us do. But sometimes we lose sight of the significance of doctrine and whether or not we're living in accordance with it or not. Our doctrine is directly tied to our salvation. Our lives, the way that we live on a day-to-day -day basis is directly tied to our salvation. The two are one. You can't have the right doctrine and not live in accordance with it and expect to get to heaven. You can't have a lifestyle that looks and is perceived as being a good person without the implications of what God has established for us doctrinally through his word and think you're going to get to heaven. It's got to be that combination of the two, and Paul understood that with the bridge that we have in Romans 12. After all that writing in that letter, Chapters 1 through 11. Because of all that, Paul says, therefore, what? You know, we, we need to think back through our lifestyle. Are we living in accordance with what God's established? Most of us started demonstrating that before we were even baptized. As we were made aware of the things in our lives that weren't pleasing to God. We changed them. We repented. We entered the waters of baptism. We had a, a greater understanding at that point in time of the significance of all this. And what it really meant to make Jesus Lord of our lives, Jesus Lord of our time, Lord of our money, Lord of our relationships, Lord of everything. But it's amazing as we mature as Christians, we start to justify, well, you know, this one doesn't really quite apply to me as much today because of my life station. You know, I'm not making the kind of money I should be making or I, I don't really feel like I have the time to give up for the kingdom. I mean, all the other things that are going on in life are so much more demanding for me. And even thinking through for us with children, ask yourselves, do your kids see you living your life as a living sacrifice? And thinking through the implications of that, we know what we just saw in 1 Timothy 4 talks about the need for life and doctrine being something demonstrated that people can see visibly. And understanding the significance of that is that it will, it, it has the potential when people see that contrast to see and help them understand their need for Christ. It says, so it will save both yourself, if we're living in accordance with the doctrine, life and doctrine, as well as your hearers. 
you know, one of the things that, that I, I think had an incredible impact on our kids, and there were times, you know, different times through, through the holidays, sometimes they'd ask us, you know, are we just going to do something as a family tonight? You know, maybe it was Christmas Eve or whatever. But, you know, they understood we were outwardly focused. They understood there was a reason why we had people in our home. They understood when mom and dad said, hey, you know what, we need you to go work on your homework. We're going to be studying the Bible with somebody right now. You know, we need you to demonstrate a little bit of restraint here. This isn't a time to fight with your sister. And it was amazing. Those times when we had people, those people, yeah, you know, as soon as they're gone, it would break loose. But no, <laughs> they understood the importance of that at very, very, very early ages. If I were to make that appeal to them on that level, it was amazing. Any other time I'd ask them, they'd be like, you know, Tuesday, I'd turn around and say, hey, he touched me, he bumped me, you know, the back and forth stuff that goes on with our kids. But it was amazing, the peace in our home, when we were in God's word, them understanding what was going on, and both of our kids. Obviously, you know, our daughter's not faithful. She's on her journey. Our son's been restored. That's huge. But if you ask either one of them, the thing that they will say is, you know what? There's never been any duplicity. You guys aren't hypocrites. We know that you're the real deal. Can your kids make that statement about you? And, and if they can't, I guarantee it's because of a lack of understanding of those first 11 chapters and what Paul's calling us to in Romans 12. See, today, what I want to do is call you back to what you devoted yourselves to when each of us said joyfully, maybe a little trepidation because we didn't understand totally the implications, but Jesus is Lord. I mean, did any of you come up out of the water? Oh, man, you know, I sucked. This is... I mean, you know, what, what is it? What, was you, what did you feel? What went on? I mean, you were excited. You've all seen the pictures. Go back and open up whatever it was, the format you used. However many years ago was your baptized? Take a look at the smile on your face. It was there for a reason, because you understood all the garbage that Paul talked about in Romans 1 through 11 that was who we were and everything that Jesus Christ did so we could break free of that was the thing that excited you about Romans 12, verse 1. Understanding God's mercy, understanding God's love, understanding the new life and purpose that we had an opportunity to step into. Paul understood it more than anyone. And because we were called to this, Paul in Romans 12 through 16 builds on this solid doctrine of 1 through 11, showing us practically how to live as Christians. Paul starts this new section in Romans 12, and he explains why you should give yourself totally to God as a living sacrifice. And the biggest one is the one that we, we understand, I think sometimes lose sight of, but that's because you've experienced God's mercy. Give yourself totally to him. He talks about that in Romans 12.1. He urges us, and then he reminds us about the mercy that we receive from God. You know, the two things. First, you've got the motive, and then a description of the commitment that follows. The motive for Christian living is that we experience God's mercy in Christ. Romans 12.1 again, it says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, why, why is the urging and what's the reminder? Everything that was written prior to Romans 12, and then reminding us about the mercy that we have received through Christ. He says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Next slide, please. So we, there's a couple of different translations here. Some of the key things. That bridge, therefore, referring back to everything prior to Romans 12. In the New Living Translation, instead of an urge, it says, I plead with you. When you urge someone, isn't that what you're trying to do? When your kids are going to do something or put themselves in jeopardy, what's your response? What's your reaction? Don't you try to persuade them away from the road they're on? And isn't this what we need to be doing as Christians when it comes to what is out there for those who have yet to surrender to Christ? He says, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. In the NLT, I plead with you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind who God will find acceptable. This truly is the way to worship him. So we see this link from the old section to the new section in Romans 12. Read with me, if you will, Romans 11, verse 33. He's setting us up for the bridge here in Romans 12. In Romans 11, verse 33, he says... Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. 
who has known, who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For him, from him, and through him, and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. You know, he follows this up with our lives need to belong completely to God. If all things are going to culminate in God's glory, then we must give our lives totally as a living sacrifice. That therefore, again, relates back to everything that Paul has said in Romans 1 through 11. He began by showing us that we are all hopelessly lost in sin. He sums it up in Romans 3.10 where he says, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. Do we believe that? Outside of Christ, is anyone righteous? It's the blood of Christ. Galatians talks about being clothed in Christ. That's the thing that gives us the ability to approach God. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Now, if this is really our true condition outside of Christ, then we all need one thing above everything else. What is that? We need God's mercy. And, you know, Paul probably uses it in the context that he does here. It's actually mercies. There's a plurality in the Hebrew. And you think through all the stuff that goes on in, the, in, a, in a daily basis with us. God's primary display of mercy to us is at the cross where Christ died for us as sinners. But we experience God's manifold mercies, plural, daily. We experience many mercies, daily mercies, many times, each and every day. Lamentations 3, verse 22, talks about it. You know, we've, we've got songs that we sing about it. It says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I mean, isn't it awesome to know that as a baptized Christian, as a baptized disciple, that that blood of Christ continues to cleanse us. Even when we screw up, God's still faithful. I mean, the, the reality here is what? We all deserve judgment. Romans 11.32 says that God has bound all men over to disobedience so they may have mercy on, or so that he may have mercy on them all. We deserve judgment. And all that we can do in that situation is cry out and see our specific needs for God moving forward. The riches of God's abundant mercy are yours. They belong to each and every one of us for the taking. Romans 10 verse 8 reads, but what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with a heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You know, I think it's so amazing about this. Paul understood the significance of this, and we have this in the entirety of this letter. But how many people take a couple of these verses out of context? We've got to remember why we do what we do, why we believe what we believe and have that confidence in the very thing that we surrender to, which is God. You know, you go back through, you read Romans 6, you read Romans 3, you have an understanding of what we look like in our separated state because of sin. And Paul's very definitive in Romans 6 as to what it takes for those sins to be forgiven. We can't take things piecemeal, and we need to make sure that we're growing and maturing in these areas, that we understand what those first 11 chapters are about, and what the final chapters of Romans are about. It's one letter that's not divided. But he's very succinct and clear with what he's trying to establish to the most religious people on the face of the planet, the Jews. So you can understand when you go back through the book of Romans why there's so much time and energy spent on all this detail. Which comes out of their past and their methods of sacrifice and their means of approaching God. Which Paul establishes no longer worth anything because of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul assumes that the readers have taken hold of God's great mercies in Christ. In Romans 12, 1, why? How does he refer to them? He calls them brothers. All have experienced the new birth through the waters of baptism. And that's the thing that unifies us. That's the thing that we're united through is that blood of Christ. 
And, you know, here's the thing here. Paul, I love this about Paul. He was an apostle. He could have asserted his apostolic authority in this situation. But instead, he establishes the reality that the, it's all level at the foot of the cross. It doesn't matter who you are, where you came from, Jew, Gentile, wealthy, poor, whoever. It's available to everybody. And he could have demanded that people surrender to Christ and live as a living sacrifice. But what does he do? He urges. And I love this. And we see this. It always cracks me up when I read Philemon. Because the urge that he uses here is only used one other time by Paul, and it's in the book of Philemon, where it's a gentler sense of urging or an appeal. And in Philemon 1, verse 8, or Philemon, verse 8, it says, Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold in order you to do what you ought to do, you know, if we read the whole passage, we understand that, you know, Paul lets this guy know, you owe your very salvation to me and what I brought you through the word of Christ. But he says, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. And this is what's going on here for each and every one of us. As our loving older brother Paul is urging us to respond to the great truth of God's mercy, even as he has done by giving our bodily bodies totally to God as a living sacrifice. You know, one of the things that's the most challenging thing for me as a Christian is the connection from here to here. It works some of the time, but I, I, I wish I had this conduit that what I do was because of what I experience when it comes to my love for God. A lot of times it can be out of a sense of knowing what the right thing is and what I should be doing. And, you know, it kind of keeps you going in the right, place, right direction some of the time. But without that personal connection, that love for God, that, that understanding, that mercy that God has afforded us, without that, the motives won't be the thing that keeps you faithful. Motive, it's got to be an engaged heart. It's crucial to everything that we do. You know, have you ever had someone, you know, act nicely towards you? And then after, you know, a little time has gone by, you found out the only reason they were doing it is because they're trying to manipulate you into something they wanted done. Have you guys ever experienced that at all? How do you feel about that? You know, I mean, if you were feeling good and all bubbly and lovey and all that towards them, and then you find out, okay, so this turkey was just trying to get me to do this, and that's the only reason he engaged me on the level he did. Is that that bubble, that ooey-gooey thing that was kind of feeling nice, what happens to it? Does it kind of burst? And we've got to be careful. What is, we understand the calling, if we engage to the calling, what's our motive behind it? Is our motive for giving ourselves over totally to God because we understand what God has done for us and the love that we've experienced with Christ? Or is it just knowledge? That won't keep us faithful. Everett Harrison puts it this way. He says, whereas the heathen are prone to sacrifice in order to obtain mercy, biblical faith teaches that the divine mercy provides the basis for sacrifice as a fitting response. You know, in common day English, we understand what God has done for us on a hard level, we love God because of what he's done for us. That's the motivation to do what God's called us to do. Not because he's laid it out and he's given us the directive, but it's an understanding of what he has done for us through Christ. Our motive as saved disciples for giving ourselves totally to God is that you have experienced his great mercy in Christ. Very simple, very basic. We need to remember that every morning we get up. Just as God extends those mercies to us daily, we need to extend that degree of love and respect for God that had absolutely no reason to but was willing to give his son for us. I want us to read Romans 12, verse 1 again. So the basic commitment for Christian living is to give your body totally to God as a living, holy, and acceptable sacrifice, which, as we saw in the passage, is your reasonable service of worship. Romans 12, verse 1 reads, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. See, Paul was using a picture that was instantly recognized by everyone in his day, but is, by and large, foreign to most of us. The Jews were all familiar with the pomp and circumstance, the tradition that was behind the ritual of taking a lamb to the temple and watching the priest slit its throat, collect the blood in a basin, 
And then after the life had ebbed out of the lamb, the lifeblood drained out of that lamb, it was placed on an altar and burnt as an offering. Now, some of the Gentiles had also witnessed animal sacrifice to their gods at pagan temples, but most of us had never watched an animal being slaughtered, even as for a meal. I mean, we had a few exceptions, you know, Brother Wingy, Henry Kramer, uh, you know, there's a few of you that have gotten out there and, you know, shot or pulled the bow or whatever, slit a throat, strung it up, bled it out. You get it. But most of us, when it comes to meat, where do we find it? You know, we buy it as shrink-wrapped, already cut, and made look pretty. There's been stuff that's added to it to make it hold up longer, all that good stuff. Or some of you, you don't even understand what's on a meat counter, and your idea of meat's whatever you get at Carl's Jr., but... Wouldn't know the first thing about preparing it, let alone sacrificing it. But really understanding that Paul is using this picture of an animal sacrifice for a reason. Paul appeals here to us to offer ourselves, not as a dead sacrifice, but as a living sacrifice to the Lord. Because it goes on and on and on and on and has impact over and over and over again. That is the act of worship we're called to. To give up everything, all not withholding anything at all. I want you to consider several aspects of this commitment. You coming up yet? Or? Okay. Um, let's see, where are we at here? Oh, there we go. Commitment of giving ourselves a living sacrifice as an act of our own will. Really understanding this. It's a decision we make. We either do it or we don't. And that's why the motive behind it is so incredibly important. It's not something... We, if it, decisions aren't automatic, Correct? There's something that's a catalyst, and we decide we're either going to do something or we're not. And understanding that, it's not automatic. It's a decision that you must think about rationally and then make the right one. No one else can do it for you. You know, you may have grown up in a Christian home. You may have trusted Christ as a child. But the bottom line is, as we get older, we begin making our own decisions. And this is an ongoing decision that we need to make on a daily basis. That we, will, we have decided to give our body our possessions, your body, your possessions, and your entire life completely to God. This is what we're called to. You know, thinking back through the years, we talked about this a little bit earlier this morning, whatever happened to denying self and seeking the kingdom first? Whatever happened to give up everything and go anywhere because of what Jesus Christ has done for us? And you know, and I, I've got to be real, I, I've become much more selective as I've gotten older. You know, I look at the uh, situation we had when uh, I had the opportunity to move up to Denver and uh, manage a couple of auto malls up there. That was a real easy decision. It's a really easy decision to make. You know, there's a certain amount of stress with the industry, but there's a boatload of money to be made. The uh, auto consortium up there in Denver, they all got together and decided that all dealerships be closed on Sunday. I mean, it was a good situation on a lot of different fronts. And I have to be real, some of you have heard this, when I moved up there, I'm thinking, you know what, man, it's about me now. I've given myself to the ministry, both, both paid and non-paid, for whatever it was at the time, 20 years. And the idea of, you know, slipping on in, at some point maybe somebody tapped me on the shoulder and saying, you know what, hey, do you think you could lead a Bible talk? I'll pray about it. Let me think about it. Let me strive to find out what God's will is in my life. Yeah, I couldn't use that one, but, you know, needless to say, God had other plans, and it, it, it took a lot of wrestling. Do we really want to engage on this level again? Do I want to go back into full-time ministry with a paycheck associated based on all the wonderful stuff we experienced up in Ventura? And it, it was challenging. It was very challenging. But, you know, my mother-in-law, she's one of those that, you know, kind of puts it all out there. You know, she's told me, well, you know, that's, that's who you are. That's what you do. Why would you do anything else? And we, to find out that she prayed that we'd end up back in L.A., can't believe it was, you know, it would have been nice to have gotten the phone call before the move, but, you know, whatever. God's in control. Even the way she put that is, well, God just wanted to see if you're willing to give it up again. I love my mother-in-law. I really do. No, I really do, but there are times where... Okay, thanks. You know, she kind of gets in there and stabs a little bit, does the digging. But really thinking this through, being a living sacrifice, giving myself away is a matter of being what? It's not going to just happen. I've got to be surrendered to God. 
That's the long and the short of it. You know, it may sound a little like a cliche, but you know what? Call it whatever you want. It's biblical. It's a matter of fact. It is critical in living as a disciple. You know, if God is good and he loves me and if he knows what is best for me, he'll only ask me to do what's best for me. I believe that. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God works through people? Do you believe that God can work through an evangelist? Do you believe that God can work through your small group leader? I think we need to get back to the things that we believed at first, the basics. You know, it's one of the things about living sacrifices and thinking this through. I look at God, God's my creator. Wouldn't I be stupid not to entrust my entire life to the individual that actually put all this mess together? Actually, sometimes I make it more of a mess than, anyway, you, you know where I'm coming from. Here I'm going Italian on you guys. But I look back to December 10th, 1990. I made that decision. I'm not stupid. God created me. What could possibly keep me from surrendering to him? And so I surrendered all myself, all my life to the Lord. And there's this ongoing decision, this ongoing renewal that needs to take place. Why? Because we're all called to be a living sacrifice, and sacrifice isn't something that's human nature. It's not something that's easy. You know, I don't know about you, but uh, you think about this. Living sacrifice, isn't there a possibility those things could just get up and crawl off the altar? Well, and if we're not where we were when we first surrendered, guess what? Some of us have been doing a little bit of crawling. You know, I, I'm willing to give God my, my money. But, you know, I mean, there's I'm, the kids' kingdom thing, man, I, I've paid my dues. I raised my kids. Uh-uh. You know, kind of crawl off the altar. Maybe kids' kingdom's not a problem, but giving is. Well, you know, God gets, man, I serve. I do all this stuff. God totally understands. I mean, I'm kind of tight right now, you know, crawling off the altar. And you need to think about this personally. What are the areas where, as a living sacrifice, there's a little bit of crawling that's gone on? Things that you've given up. Things that you're, you're not as surrendered to Christ as you used to be. And understanding there is this need to renew that commitment on a daily basis. But as you grow in the Christian life, you become aware of the areas in your life that you're not yielded to God. So we've got to put those things, guess what, back on the altar. To become more and more aware about the lordship of Jesus Christ as we do those things that we ever knew because it puts us more in tune to what Jesus was willing to do for us. So, you know, there's that first time when you present your entire life to the Lord to do whatever he wants to do, and many of us have experienced that. But is that where we really are today? If someone were to say, you know, bro, we're, 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 we're planting a church over in such and such a neighborhood, and we need you to sell your home and move into that community because we feel like this would be a great area for outreach, I know there are individuals in the group that would do just what Dave said and said, amen. When, how, where, what can I do? But there's other of us that, that use this excuse of, well, you know, I don't know, man. Let me see what God's will is. And you never hear from that individual ever again. Where are we at personally today? See, secondly, offering ourselves as living sacrifice involves our body. Paul talks about this. It continues to give us instruction when it comes to living as redeemed people, living in a fallen world. Paul uses the word present or offer in connection with our bodies. Romans 6, verse 12. I'm going to read out of the New American Standard on this. Romans 6, verse 12. It says, therefore, <clears throat> do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that, your body, or so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves. Who's supposed to do the presentation? We are individually. We are called to present ourselves to God as those alive from the dead. And he says, and your members as instruments of a righteous God. You know, the Greek philosophers commonly thought of the body as something that was evil or degrading from what an enlightened person should strive to achieve in their life to free themselves from. But the disciple of Jesus Christ is to view the body as a living and holy sacrifice offered to God for what? God's service. Serving God. You know, the verb here, present, is also used as in the Bible from a standpoint of what a father would do presenting his virgin bride to her husband in marriage relationship. And thinking through this, the Lord has bought us with his blood out of the slave market of sin so that we are his bride bought at a price. 
Well, what are we doing with our bodies? Do we present our bodies in a way that glorifies God? You know, and even at the very minimum, thinking through the implications of just purity, personal purity, sexual purity. 1 Corinthians 6, 8 through 18 through 20, you can read it. I'm not going to spend the time on it right now. But how are we doing? How are we doing with our purity? How are we doing with porn? How are we doing with the TV? How are we doing with the way we dress, what we read? You know, Fifty Shades of Grey. I'm blown away by the number of sisters I've heard that have read this book. You guys entertaining going out and seeing the movie as well? We, we've got to be careful with the direction that we go in, the things that we look at, the things that we pursue, because this form of compromise will compromise you right out of the kingdom of God. So are we using our bodies as a living sacrifice? And thinking that, taking that to the next level, actually right here, body includes our tongues, which should be used to do what? Hebrews 13, 15, praise God. Ephesians 4, 29, no unwholesome talk, build up, don't tear down. Ephesians 4, 15, use the tongue to speak the truth in love. Ephesians 4, 28, hands and feet should provide for ourselves and our families. Are we meeting the needs of our own immediate family? Romans 10, 15, we need to use our feet to bring good news to others. 2 Timothy, uh, I think it was 2.22, I believe. We need to make sure that when it comes to being in a position where there's evil, what do we use our feet for? Get the heck out of Dodge, baby! Flee! Thirdly, Scripture tells us that this level of commitment, the way we live today, needs to be a living, holy, and acceptable sacrifice. You know, there's a paradox here in this. In presenting our bodies to God, it's a positive thing, right? I mean, I look at my daughter-in-law thinking what an incredible young lady she was before she became a Christian. Out of her own pocket, she funded herself for two months in Soweto, South Africa, meeting the needs of the poor as a nurse. She's an RN. And seeing the emphasis that my son and my daughter-in-law put on the purity of the dating relationship. And knowing that as she approached that altar, the wedding I performed, that she waited on God. She waited on her dad to give her away. That is so huge. And that's what we're called to individually when it comes to us being the bride of Christ. Is that taking place in our lives? Do we wait on God? Or we just give ourselves to whatever comes along without giving any thought to what the implications are for Jesus Christ who is willing to die for each and every one of us. You know, Mark 8, verse 34, it reads, really understanding this, again, this bride joyfully giving herself to her husband, it's costly. It requires that all that we have, and this is how Jesus summarizes it in Mark 8, verse 34. It says, Then he called to the crowd to him along with his disciples, and said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? What are we giving ourselves away to? Or are we holding out and giving ourselves away for God? David Livingston endured years of hardship in Africa as he took the gospel to Africa. And his, he may have this quote that really resonated with me. He says, I never made a sacrifice of this. We ought not to talk when we remember the great sacrifice which he made who left his father's throne to give himself for us. I mean, I love this. In light of this man's life and what he was willing to do and the hardship that he went through, when he was interviewed, this was his statement. I've never made a sacrifice. And he could say that because of his willingness to understand and what motivated his heart is what Jesus Christ did for him personally. You know, the sacrifice, again, it's living. Animal sacrifices were consumed and killed once and for all. But this thing is so cool about being disciples because the sacrifice of our body is ongoing and repeated. And God has given us new life through new birth. And that needs to be the thing that motivates us. We need to, right now, gladly offer it back to him. The sacrifice is holy. It's set apart to God. You know, we've seen all the Old Testament stuff. You look at the book of Haggai. You look at the book of Malachi. 
defiled sacrifices that the Jews were offering up? Are we willing to do that with ourselves, to offer this that's a vessel for the Holy Spirit as a defiled sacrifice to God, which really, is that any sacrifice at all? And understanding what our walk, what we've been called to. The sacrifice is acceptable to God as disciples of Christ. When we look to God, we remember what Jesus has done, and we keep that heart of our saw. Just as animal sacrifices were a pleasing aroma to God, so we should live so as to please him in all we think, say, and do. And what, again, what's the motivation? What's the motivation as we go forward? It's to offer our bodies to God in this way that he gave his son for us. Final one, final offering. Offering ourselves as living sacrifices is our reasonable, acceptable service or act of worship. You know, there's a lot of different translations that use some different verbiage here. Many of the translations, New American Standard Bible, uh, the uh, ESV, they say they use spiritual service here. But there's another word that Paul could have used, and we see used in the uh, Holman's and the American Standard. It's the word from which we get our word logic or rational or reasonable in light of what God has done for us, mercifully done for us. In the New American Standard, it's, it reads like this, service of worship. It's translated as a single word in Greek that refers to the service of the priest in the temple. Thinking through the preparation that these guys made as they, as they came to God. And, under, and there was an understanding there. There was this fear and awe of God, and if they didn't prepare properly, they may not ever come out of the temple again. Romans 9, verse 4, Paul is applying the word for religious worship. Our life as a living sacrifice, it's not just Sunday. It's not just Wednesday. But this is what we are called to. It is our religious worship just living our lives on a daily basis. You know, that's something I, I've really never totally embraced. I'm really understanding the significance, again, of that verse in Romans 12:1. It means that everything we do should be offered up to God as an act of worship. You know, Hebrews 12, verse 28, next slide. So since we're receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. You know, do we talk about fear or awe much in our Christianity? Sierra is uh, the Minstrel Peaks, I think is what it was called. It was like 12 years old at the time. Stupid kid. They have this wall. It's about yay high, and people that I was with weren't super bright. Uh, I worked for them as a 12-year-old. Uh, they encouraged me to get up on this wall so they could take a picture. Well, I stood up on the wall, and literally, it was probably somewhere between 500 and 1,000 feet straight down, and I looked at him, and I got hit by a gust of wind, and I definitely, I did one of these. There was a little fear and awe going on right then. And I think this is, you know, it gets the heart pumped, but there's a little adrenaline involved. God is amazing. He created us. We need to have that degree of, not like, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm, like, totally guilted out. You know, we're, we question everything we do, and we don't feel this connectivity, and God's this evil ogre. And, guys, he came in the flesh and died for us. How evil is that? But there is a degree of respect, a degree of fear, and a degree of awe that should come out of knowing that we're here because somebody made us. And then somebody had the willingness to die for us when we got off track. Hebrews 13, verse 15. says, therefore let us offer Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. And don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. Okay, what are these things right here? Continual sacrifice, don't forget to do good, share with those in need. Are, are these not things that are visible actions? This isn't something that's ethereal. This is pretty clear. And then verse 17, it says, Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls, and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. This would certainly not be for your benefit. You know, I remember a period of time in the church where I, even though it's biblical, it's there. I wouldn't pull it out because I was afraid of how people would respond. But, you know, there's a degree of responsibility that's on me 
that none of you have to answer for. I'm entrusted with each of your souls as an evangelist. That weighs on me pretty heavy sometimes. But you know what? How can I shepherd your soul when you're not involved? You don't come to midweek. You don't come to Sundays or it's sporadic based on whatever you feel like being there. I don't want that kind of responsibility. I'll just be frank. I don't want that kind of responsibility. Because the only way I have of influencing you and shepherding your soul is what we have here through the scriptures. By you being here. By you being engaged. And I, I can say this without any question at all. Most of you make my job a joy. And there isn't any sorrow affiliated with it. There are others where you make me wrestle a little bit. Just keeping it real. You know, the same, thing, the same degree of respect should be afforded to your small group leaders, your community group leaders, your shepherds, our elder and his wife. As they imitate Christ, that's the model you should be looking to. And you know what? Yeah, we screw up. So what? Who doesn't? And that's the thing that's awesome about discipling. If I step off the path, there's somebody here, Wingies, Kramers, Johnsons, Ebergs, Thomases. I mean, everybody and his brother is pulling me aside from time to time. You know, bro, can I talk to you about something? And I appreciate it. Guess what? It gives me the ability to grow and mature and be that living sacrifice that God calls me to be. But some of you are like this. Ain't happening, bro. You got nothing I want. Oh, you want to talk to me? Uh, ain't happening. I, I got it going on. I'm good. Thank you. Where's that going to take you? Now, you know, you got questions, bro? Do me a favor, man. Help me out biblically. Show me something in the Bible. If you think that maybe there's too much opinion coming your way, break out the Bible. Look at it together. But there's got to be that spirit where we're willing to help each other strive and grow and mature and be more when it comes to that living sacrifice. So here are the final applications. Bring it in for landing here. Next slide, please. You may want to take a screenshot of these, or, and I'll send it out on CCB. But number one, number one, need to examine our motives as to why we're willing or unwilling to give ourselves away and be a living sacrifice. What's keeping you from engaging God the way God calls for you to engage him? Number two, what things are you unwilling to do or give? Kingdom kids, opening home for studies, holding back in giving of time or money. Are there certain jobs within the church or financial sacrifice that's off limits? And keeping in mind that if it's off limits, it's not about this, it's about this. Are there areas where you're like, God, sorry, dude, that ain't happening. Because you may think or say it's for other reasons, but the reality of it is that's the response to God. I ain't having it, God. Not now, maybe later, some other time in my life, when I'm retired, whatever. But is that where you're at? And then finally, next slide. Thinking this through, is it more spiritual to serve God as an usher or a small group leader or shepherd or kids' kingdom teacher? Are you using the talents God has blessed you with exclusively at your job, more at your job than the kingdom, split equally between the two? Based on the question, ask yourself why. As a living sacrifice, it should all be for God's glory. God and his kingdom, his church, and all of us, all that we have, all that we do, only then does the world, your job, get what it really should get in light of what God's done for us. If we're going to be given leftover anywhere, it should be God or the job. And I'm not endorsing not being excellent in the workplace, but just from a standpoint of perspective, how often do we give God our leftover and the job gets everything? or the sports that we're involved with, or whatever it is that, that causes you to compromise, let's think about it, but not just ask the question, let's change it. In conclusion, John Calvin, in the sum of the Christian life, has this quote. He writes, We are not our own. Let not our reason nor our will therefore sway our plans and deeds. We are not our own. Let us therefore not set it as our goal to seek what is expedient for us according to the flesh. We are not our own. And so far as we can, let us therefore forget ourselves in all that is ours. Conversely, we are God's. Let us therefore live for him and die for him. We are God's. 
Let his wisdom and will therefore rule all of our actions. We are God's. Let all the parts of our life accordingly strive toward him as our only lawful goal. Have you experienced God's great mercy in Christ? Then give yourself away totally to him. Amen.